What are cryptocurrencies? Hey, hey, hey. What are NFTs? A non-fungible token. Time to buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin just seems like a scam. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? Bitcoin! Alright everyone, welcome to another edition of this collaborative effort here between FWB and On The Ledger where we're talking about creative custody among other things. Today I'm super excited to have one of my best friends, Brian Mark, on the show. Um, This is like Brian and I met on FWB like in 2020, pretty sure, and then like managed to... I moved up to Portland in 2020, and then I found out that like a couple of very fun people from FWB also lived here, and so we like became friends in real life, which was very very cool. Um, and so currently he is the CEO at Rumford's Creative Academy, or sorry, Agency Academy too, but whatever. And um, and then, but you know, lo- like he's done so many things since in just the last three years, everything from being at Adidas to working with me on digital events at FWB and Rally and Dapper Labs and all of these things. So he's been in the front row for a lot of very interesting crypto projects and we're super excited to, to dig into all of that today with him. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here. And uh, yeah, it, it's exciting to, to see internet friendships turn into real life friendships. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's awesome. Uh, it's good to see Zoe and you too, yeah. Nice to see you. Thank you for joining us. So we um we do kick off uh, the top of each episode with a surprise um, and very important question, which was, what was your first concert that you ever attended? And what's the most recent concert that you've been to? Oh, that's great. Um, so my first concert, I was uh, 14 and I convinced my dad to take me and my uh, best friend to a uh, a concert at an amphitheater outside Chicago. Uh, it was Leonard Skinner, Deep Purple, Survivor, Off Broadway, and Ted Nugent. Um, uh, that's incredible. That's like the Toledo Speedway Jam, except in the Chicago suburbs. But wait, it, it, it totally who was. the hell is Off Broadway? Off Broadway had, um, they're a one hit wonder um, that I, I can't even remember the name of their one hit, but they, they were like very much touring on this one hit, uh, you know, 30 years later still. Um, Got it. Wow. It was great. I don't, I don't, I don't know that one. Yeah. Let's see. Um, I, I, I remember, um, that was also the first time that I ever saw anyone smoke pot. Um, with like these like old, they were old. They were probably 40, um, standing next to us, these like old parents who were for sure, like, um, out on the town, like having a, having a real good time. Um, yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty wild. Um, and then the, the most recent concert was, um, uh, two weeks ago um, at the Star Theater here in Portland, I got to see Liturgy, um, which is a kind of weird avant-garde metal band, um, but very fun. And um, I've been really lucky. Uh, Portland's a great place to see live music. And there's just like, especially kind of post-COVID stuff. There's so many shows coming to town lately. And, and I've been to a ton of them. Got a lot of shows lined up for the summer too. Excited. Excellent. Well, thank yeah. you. That's a good, that's a good, uh, yeah. a good opener and, and icebreaker. Let's let's go let's go back. Give people some context on on who you are. You know, when when you and I first met on Discord, I believe um, you were at Adidas at the time, and you know, talking about Web three things at Adidas. Adidas has done a lot in in that space, and you were you were there for 
um, the beginning on it and you've moved on to other things, but what, what was, what led up to that? And, and how did you find yourself at Adidas and, and working on that particular project? Yeah. Um, so I've had kind of an interesting run. I, I started out, um, I went to college in Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, at the university of Minnesota. And while I was there, um, I got into bikes, um, bikes were, uh, kind of everything to me then. And, um, decided to turn kind of the passion that I had for, um, riding bikes into a job and started out working at bike shops. Um, from there ended up working at uh, a distributor that, that made kind of some of the cooler bike brand stuff called QBP. Um, they make Surly bikes and salsa bikes and a lot of these kind of like cool, cool bike brands. And I realized like that was kind of the, the unlock for me was this idea of there being these small communities and these like subcultures and the, and the idea of like subculture being something that's, um, that you can build a business around was something that like my eyes really kind of opened up to. Um, there's more than just like the bikes that get sold at REI and Walmart. There's like these niches and these kind of small realms. And, um, you know, I saw like friends starting companies that were these, these little projects where you could build a brand around a person and around a, a concept, and then really turn that into um, something that stood on its own two feet. And, um, was excited to like Minneapolis at that time was like a very kind of vi a high vibe city with regards to cycling. Um, I worked in bikes for a bit and, and I worked for a few brands. Um, and that was kind of where I learned like brand, uh, religion sort of. And, and, and for me, like, uh, I followed that religion from uh, working for a company called Nog that made the little silicone bike lights that kind of wrap around your handlebars. They were an Australian company, um, worked for them for a few years. Um, and then went to Chrome Industries, the guys who make the seatbelt buckle uh, messenger bags. Um, all of these, this is kind of like they're these culty brands. And the idea of like cult classic is something that I'm, I'm still like really fascinated by. Um, at Chrome, Chrome was based in San Francisco. Um, uh, we lived in Oakland at the time and um, worked for them for a minute. A buddy of mine then came up to Adidas and I, I followed him. Um, I joined the team at Adidas um, in like 2016. Um, working on a team that did retail marketing with wholesale partners. And so we, we basically would work with like the retailers who, um, who bought Adidas product from Adidas and help them build plans to, to sell it, but also to like, to reinforce the Adidas brand message and brand love kind of through those marketing efforts. And, um, you know, as somebody who has that, that brand faith, like, uh, Adidas was a great place to work. I mean, Adidas is, is such a, a powerhouse with regards to brand and, and they really believe it. Um, in my time there, you know, I think I, I kept kind of pushing at the limits of what was possible with, um, with Adidas. Like I was really interested in finding what the limits were of what we could do. And through that, I got connected to some folks who were working on the, the metaverse stuff that Adidas was exploring. They'd initially put out like a call for submissions, um, and uh, the call for submissions was basically, hey, if you have an idea about kind of how we can use these new technologies, metaverse, Web3, crypto, kind of any of this stuff, this was like 2020, this was like the summer of 2020. And they were like, hey, if you have any ideas about this stuff, like come give us a pitch. And uh, my buddy Kat Miller and I, she ran um, uh, digital brand marketing for um, Adidas Originals North America. Um, she said, Hey, let, let's put together some pitches. And we put together a couple concepts and put them in front of this room. And the response was really strong. And I, I think I remember the two ideas that we shared. One of them was, um, uh, fractional ownership of a, like a, a community owned store was one of the ideas that we put up was basically like, why not open a store in Detroit and say, look, we're going to give 10% of this store to a business, like the, the community college business program. 
We're going to give 10% of the store to the Boys and Girls Club. We're going to give 10% of the store to a local small business association and let those become the stakeholders in creating a business like that. Um, that's still like, that didn't happen, but it was something that to me, like I watched people's eyes in the room kind of open up as they realized that not only was this like possible, but that there were these emergent technologies that could unlock that. And I think that that to me is like, there's, there's something really magical in being able to connect people who can understand consumer concepts, like where the rubber really meets the road with technical things that are like hard to do. Like there's, they're, they're not easy things, but if you can make those technical things seem easy, to people who can understand your dream, it can really unlock like the ability to try and do those. And so um, the concepts that they ended up with were, were what you saw for the Adidas into the metaverse uh, NFT project. The idea of this kind of big 30,000 um, uh, NFT drop that came with physical merch connected to it. Um, and that was, where, that was where Ian and I met, um, was in talking with Ledger about how Adidas and Ledger would work together um, on the custody side. Like basically how, how does a company like Adidas take in the $30 million or in, in revenue that they brought in from the project and like handle that? How does Adidas hold a board ape? Like that was one of the first questions. And, um, you know, for me, that was, uh, that was the place where I was able to plug in. Um, I'm not, uh, like, I'm not a technical person. I don't, I'm not an engineer. I, I, you know, I don't do any of that, but like, I understand, um, how to explain those technical concepts to, uh, I guess, apparently to German tax lawyers and to, uh, you know, the people who run like that kind of stuff on, on the Adidas side. So um, that was that was the way that I kind of found myself brought into the space. And that was my first exposure to Web3. Like before those conversations, I owned no tokens, like I had no connection to the space. And so, um, yeah, that was that was really my entree to it. And the the team that that put that together at Adidas was fascinating. It was a skunkworks team. Like there was no... Um, I think there were two people on the team who it was their full-time job and everybody else were people like me who were doing this as kind of a fun five to 10 hours a week on top of our regular responsibilities, which, you know, I think in a bigger company like Adidas, there are a lot of people who have that kind of passion, but maybe don't have an outlet for it within their day-to-day -day at the job. And, um, you know, for the brand, I think it's cool to see um, those kinds of initiatives because it keeps that interest in the workplace rather than letting that, that energy kind of travel outward. Uh, it's super interesting. I mean, there's a there's a bunch of things in what you just said that I'd like to respond to. I mean, okay. first of all, I think that you know you you and I have a, a similar reason for for doing what we're doing, and that we come from these niche cultures, and we see the way that technology um, drives you know all of humanity toward you know toward toward niche. Or you know, as as I always quote Jeff Jarvis, who in 2008 wrote that you know culture is moving from mass market to massive niche. Um, so your, you know, your, your, your story about the, the early bike companies, I think is, is very relevant because it's, um, it's kind of a direction that our interests have pushed us in anyway. Right. But then you see the way that technology pushes things even more in that direction. And then you want to kind of get on that train and help, help, you know, move it along. Um, I think, you know, the, the other interesting thing there is, you know, thinking about, I mean, I think Adidas and Nike for me have been really amazing because they have managed to be kind of big brands that have, um, have been able to to really take advantage of the of the the notion that culture is moving into niches instead of being pushed aside by it, you know they've found ways to be um, you know 
authentically a part of niche, whether it's you know Nike and skateboarding or what Adidas has done uh, with the Into the Metaverse project. To, to me, those are those are you know examples of brands saying, oh yeah, we're going to actually harness this. And I, I think it's super interesting also that you said that it was Skunk Works with inside of a, of a big company like Adidas. It's difficult to kind of you know be that um, you know be that agile. Um, I guess, you know, the, the question I, I have for you in your own personal journey, I mean, you, you went really down the rabbit hole then, right? Because you went, you know, from Adidas to, to two, you know, pure crypto companies. And now, you know, if I'm not mistaken, you know, back to the company who Adidas was, you know, using as a consultant to help them get the end of the metaverse project out the door. So, you know, maybe, maybe quickly, cause there's other stuff we want to, you know, be sure we yeah. get into the interview, but like, tell us, you know, uh, how you got to Rumford's and, and tell people what Rumford's is and, and, and what they do and, and maybe even how Rumford's has evolved in the last couple of years as the entire industry has evolved. Yeah. I love it. Um, I, I met the, the team from Rumford's while I was at Adidas, they were the consultancy brought on to help, uh, Adidas do hard things to basically do, do the process of figuring out what their, Web3 and Metaverse strategy were. And defining that kind of work is something that I think for a company like Adidas, um, it's it, it, they have really strong executional muscles, but there's a time when pulling in somebody from outside your orbit to say, here's how you should go about this, can kind of unlock or accelerate that process. And, and that's really how Adidas uh, leveraged the, the team at Rumford's. Um, I'll talk quickly about kind of how I, how I went down that rabbit hole and then a little bit more about where I'm at now. So... Um, while I was at Adidas, I, I started looking around and I realized that um, that I, I felt really strongly about this Web3 stuff. And, and um, one of the guys at uh, Rumford's, Jared Spiegel, the CEO, um, turned me on to Friends with Benefits. And he said, hey, do you know what DAOs are? And I was like, no. He's like, well, look, you should join this. You should join FWB. It's interesting. And I think you'd get a kick out of it. I was like, great. I'll, I will go do that. And that was the first uh, token I ever bought. I bought ETH to buy FWB. First time I'd ever done it. Um, I used like Rainbow Wallet on my phone. And like, you know, I think I, I had to like um, use Apple Pay a couple times to buy enough uh, uh, ETH to be able to transfer. Um, once I was in FWB, I realized that there were, um, that there weren't just um, in the space, like that, that crypto could be more than just this financialized kind of game. Um, I, I'm not really interested in the money side of stuff. Like I, I get like money is important, but money's not super interesting to me. And the financial tool side of crypto has never really gotten me. I think what I'm more interested in is the social side. I'm interested in, in how this can kind of connect or unlock things that are otherwise impossible. And that's what I saw in FWP was a community of, of people from around the world with different interests and different talents um, who all kind of saw the same nascent thing, the ability to organize in new ways online. Um, I dove headfirst into FWB. I joined the membership team. Um, I joined the digital events team after that um, and eventually ended up on the governance team um, doing work there too. Um, I'm no longer a contributor. I, I hang out in the membership team a little bit and kind of help approve applications and stuff. But um, from FWB, I, I found a, a job opportunity at Rally, um, RIP, which was the... Um, social token platform. Um, the idea was essentially uh, individuals or, or companies could launch their own social tokens, their own ERC-20 equivalent on a, on a side chain um, and use those to uh, collect some of the value that their community created. Um, 
from on that team, I was on the um, I did uh, content and education, um, which was essentially the, the go to market function. Um, from there, I, I transferred over to Dapper um, and I joined the Dapper team um, just after the Dapper uh, Labs team had acquired Brud, the company behind Lil Michaela and also founded by uh, Trevor McFedries from FWB. So a lot of kind of connectivity there. Um, and I joined there as a, a product marketer and what they were working on building were um, DAO tools. The idea was essentially how can you build tools to help communities kind of mean more and do more using a blockchain like Flow that was like really low transaction cost, really easy to use, super user friendly. Um, that was a, a short lived stop. Uh, the, the team there was kind of folded out. Um, and from there, I, I found the Rumford team. I, I was talking to Jared uh, about kind of what my next move was going to be. And he said, hey, he's like, why don't you just come work for me? And I was like, doing what? Like, what, what do you want to do? And he was like, well, look, like, essentially what, what Rumford's had been and kind of is focused on is helping brands do those hard things with emergent technologies. And I think serving as that, like a creative consultancy and a strategic consultancy who can kind of take you from, we need a metaverse strategy or we're cure, our CMO is curious about Web3 what do we need to know is a really interesting flow. And it's one that I, th I think for us, we found that sweet spot in speaking brand and speaking um, strategy and also really loving these new technologies and, and in being like really willing to go out and be the experts who live and breathe in the space who can then bring back those kind of insights and in our network and those connections to brand marketers uh, who are interested in, in adopting those technologies. So uh, in the time I've been with the brand, we've done work with um, brands like Ralph Lauren. We helped um, curate the Ralph Lauren and Pool Suite partnership that launched recently. Um, we've done uh, work with uh, Dior, uh, with uh, Givenchy, and with uh, Nike recently, too. So we, we've got a lot of these really kind of fun fashion and luxury brands. Um, that's the space that we want to play in. I think for us, like, the, the reason that we over-indexed in that is just how important um, – that brand pieces for brands like that. You know, I think there's a lot of other great companies out there who are doing interesting stuff in this space. But I think for us, if, um, you know, if, if your brand is a big asset on your, um, on your balance sheet, like for us, I think that's really where we can help unlock kind of that brand utility um, using these new technologies too. Yeah. And then, you know, when you're thinking about kind of the day to day or like what kinds of things you're helping with, you know, I get the sense that, you know, you're not doing what I see a lot in the biology and life sciences space, which is my other hat that I wear, where we hire these consultants and they come in and they like turn in a deck and then they're like, good luck, see you later. Um, right. But I, I get the feeling that like, you know, yeah. for you guys, what's way more exciting is like, you know, being kind of team players along the, the journey and the launch of various products. So can you talk a little bit about like what those engagements look like and maybe, you know, like what's the most exciting thing for the Rumford's team, like in those engagements? How does that work? Yeah, I love it. Um, for us, our preferred way of working is, is truly embedding. Like we, our, our goal is to become a part of the organization that, that we want to help unlock those resources for. Um, some of that is, uh, is due to the trust that it engenders, like it, a high trust relationship gives you the ability to do more and have more candid conversations. Um, the other piece is that I think for a lot of these brands, brand is um, in a lot of even really big companies with really well-established um, kind of brand histories. Brand is still ephemeral. 
it's something that really kind of floats around in the in the company. It doesn't live in one place. And so as a result, when we're working with a fashion house, we want to talk to your archivist, but we also want to talk to your customer service team. We also want to talk to your product team. We also want to talk um, to your social team because understanding kind of how each of those teams um, think about the problem that we're trying to crack can for us really unlock like the the whole vision and and being that that connective tissue that can bounce around inside complex and matrixed organizations is something um, back to that skunk works approach at Adidas you can kind of be that lateral connector between different parts of an organization who may never talk they're you know three levels up they're maybe connected through their bosses but like on the day-to-day -day, the social team and the concierge team don't have a lot to do with one another and so for us like being that team that can talk across all of those is is a huge value and a huge unlock. And then just like in terms of subject matter these days, like I'm curious because you kind of have this like really interesting lens that you're, you know, talking to these brands about, I, you know, what are, what are people wanting to, to dabble in with emerging technology? Is it still web three? <laughs> so th there's, there's two answers here. I think one is we're seeing, um, more brands express interest in kind of this second epoch of Web3, which I think to me really points to membership, free or low cost mints. Like this really, it's a really different approach. And it's one that's, I think, um, far more utopian in my head. It's like an opt-in identity, which is to me really compelling and, and something that I've been long on for a while. Um, it's also um, less... Uh, uh, immediately kind of focused on generating return on investment. It's more focused on kind of long-term customer value, which is, again, as somebody who like loves brand and thinks about it from a consumer perspective, far more valuable and far more interesting than selling somebody a ticket to something via, you know, digital access. Um, so I think that's one side is we are, we're seeing interest from brands on the membership narrative. The other one is on like a high price, super luxury, the very focused mint of like, I'm thinking about the um, Louis Vuitton, um, uh, you know, the the trunks that are coming out, um, the Dior sneaker that's coming out, like all of those, those to me are a really interesting expression of another end of the narrative, which is very focused, very premium, very small mints that are, um, to me, that's, that those are kind of two, they're two ends of the pole. And I'm like really happy to see us moving to those two different sides rather than kind of sitting in this fuzzy middle where we're trying to guess what the right mint price is to mint out a 10k you know or something like that that's that, that's not super interesting um I thought, wait, the well, other let's, side let's let's yeah. Oh, yeah. let's um let's double click on that for a second because i think that yeah, might sure. be um one of the things that's that's interesting to the audience and and i just want to make sure we don't we don't gloss over it because i think you know you've you've had, you, as zoe just said you've had this um kind of interesting visibility on it from going from well we don't know what it is and it's all kind of opportunity to oh my god this you know the the bottom fell out of this market and 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 maybe it's even just all scams and evil right um and, and i think what you just said you know what i've always said to to the brands that i i work with is you know do something that allows you to learn um but not get burned you know so stay away from speculation um you know and, and do something that that is you know, relatively low risk. But I think, I think you're right. I'm actually seeing exactly what you're saying is that there's one angle on this, which is, you know, people kind of scratching their chin and saying, wait, maybe this is kind of a replacement for a cookie or an email list, um, you know, and uh, at, on that level. The other is, um, you know, this is a 
tool for our, you know, for us to connect with our absolutely most valuable and um, kind of engaged customers, right? Um, and also, I think what's incredibly interesting and I wouldn't have predicted is the way that, you know, both Nike and Louis Vuitton have done this in a way that that is kind of that, that keeps away from the the the, the flipping narrative, uh, you know, the what is the floor price narrative. So I'm curious, you know, from your perspective and Rumford's perspective, you know, what you're seeing in the market and what's your prediction for the next, you know, six to twelve months from a from a how will brands, you know, participate in this space perspective? Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I'm. Um... It's been interesting to me to see how many brands, uh, you know, you, you, I think we all know there's, there's a lot of brands who have shelved projects that have been in the works for the last, you know, 12 to 24 months. Like the life cycle on a project uh, at, a, at a major brand is really long. It takes a long time to get things built, set up, approved. Um, I'm guessing that as the bottom fell out of the bull market, um, there were a lot of projects that were shelved. And I think what we're seeing now is, is what it took um, for brands to take that step back and either say, you know what, we're out. And I think there's a lot of big players in, in brand space who you would have expected to see launch something major by now and who haven't. I think the, the slow um, plotting success of projects like Starbucks Odyssey, which is one that I think um, I'm, I'm really bullish on. And, and I think that there's um, a case where, to your point, kind of the combination of wallets and email or like wallets and traditional um, uh, traditional marketing channels, that becomes kind of the real powerful unlock. And, and to me, I think some of that, some of the adoption that we'll see in the next little bit is going to be driven by partners like um, uh, Salesforce, who so many brands work with, saying, hey, we now have CRM integration for Web3 products. And, and that to me feels like it's a, a maturation that it took a few years to get to. But now all of a sudden, you know, we talk a lot about utility for consumers. Let's talk about that same utility for brands. Like once these tools actually become useful as part of your marketing lifecycle, the desire to do it and the willingness to do it is going to be a lot higher. Um, to your question on prediction, I think that um, we'll see more projects using these technologies without talking about them. Um, I think there's, there's a really good chance that a major membership pro, uh, like protocol launches um, a, a potentially across um across brands, there could, there could be multi-brand membership project products that launch. Um, there could also be standalone uh, pieces that integrate into existing membership protocols. Um, I don't think we're gonna end up seeing kind of parallel paths. I think there was a minute where it was maybe you'll have your regular membership program and your Web3 membership program. I think in reality, we very likely end up at a spot where it's just, it's one piece of it. The same way that direct mail is one lever you can pull and email marketing and out of home and all of these are, are, are pieces you can play. Um, I think that Web3 ends up being something that maybe rides under it at the infrastructure layer. Because um, ultimately, you know, this is that, that um, it's, it's something that, that I, I try and live in is the idea that you know, with a lot of these technologies, we have this really thick protocol layer that does all of the work for us. And the app layer is really thin. And I think initially I thought maybe that that, um, like early on, I thought maybe that app layer would thicken over time. And I think in reality, what's happening is that app layer just gets thinner and thinner because the protocol does more of the work invisibly or does more of the work kind of below the surface. Um, you know, user experience can be really um, thin and lightweight if what's happening under the hood is really complex and really beautiful and you just don't have to worry about it. So I, I, I'm, I'm long on kind of more use cases that, um, that people don't know about, which is, which is great. And then the other side is I, I do still think there will be 
um, continued interest and investment in these in these pinnacle properties. I think that the adoption from Sotheby's and Christie's both at, at that really high level, the existence and and sustained um, you know like moderate success of some of the um, premium art platforms um, online, like th th these are these are good signs for I think digital art as an established category that I would expect. Uh, to continue to exist from an art perspective, but for some brands, uh, especially brands who are at that kind of luxury end of things, to play in as a as a branding exercise. Thank you for that, Brian. I think it was great to because uh, I agree with you on 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 pretty much all counts there. I think it's good to to get that out and for people to have kind of a realistic vision of you know of 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 what happens after this point. You know, I guess what I'll what I'll add to that is you know this it, it's what you just said is sort of the brand version of. You know, if you if you follow, um, uh, there's a great book about um, uh, about technical revolutions, and you know, it, it's it's called um, Technical Revolutions and Financial Capital by Carlotta Perez. It's a very you know catchy title, um, but you know what they what it says is that you know in any technological revolution in in history, um, and you know you can go you can go way back all the way back to the you know the printing press or certainly industrialization you know automotive certainly silicon chips internet etc you know you get you get bubbles the bubble bursts and then you get 30 years of sustained growth so i, I like that you know what you're pointing at there points at the sustained growth um phase and and who does what and you know it's I, I won't i won't say whom but i've i've talked to you know two major brands already today and it's just monday uh in in, in july of, of 2023 so I, I know that the interest you know, is still there. And I, and I guess that's, you know, maybe the way to kind of, you know, wrap up that, that question is, so, um, what are, what's, what's the interest level you're seeing as Rumford's? So Rumford's is a, is a, is a company that is, you know, that, that is a company that one of these brands might call, you know, is it a, is, are, are you feeling interest from the market? And I mean, you've already told us a little bit about the way that interest is changing, but what would you say the, the level of interest is at? Yeah, the interest is um, it's different. There's there's less of the kind of like bulk uh, buzz. It, you know, we, we are, I think, to your point, like we're in the trough of disillusionment a little bit. Kind of after the bubble bursts, there's the moment where you look around and yeah, that that question of is this it is I think something that that a lot of marketers and a lot of the a lot of the contacts that we're talking to are. I mean, it's it's similar to the folks you're talking to probably Ian and and like it's the CMOs or the chief innovation officers. It's the people who are charged with figuring out what the future of this looks like for their brand. And I think for us, um, interest is still there. The interest is specifically there around membership and, and around kind of what that unlock can be. So that, that meta narrative is, is kind of taking hold. Um, the other place where there's interest, and this comes from kind of that same level of, um, of desire for support on the brand side um, uh, is around AI. And, you know, I think that that's really, it's interesting to watch how many people um, on Twitter and on LinkedIn, they're like, you know, they very quickly pivoted from their Web3 world to their AI world. Um, but but I do think that there's there's a reason. And I think some of it is that, um, you know, people expect the, um, the very online among us to know kind of what the trend is here and what's happening here. And so we've been having more conversations about AI than I expected us to. And for us as a business, we're, you know, we're thinking about that. Um, not just as a standalone, but from a um, an innovation and and strategic consulting perspective, there's a place where those aren't um, separate. Where where AI and metaverse and Web three, this all kind of falls into that space of 
emergent technologies that brands are interested in unlocking the power of. And so, um, you know, I think we we are and are um, excited to uh, be having more conversations about AI than, than we did three months ago. Which oh, that's interesting. I mean, I've been saying, um, and, you know, with credit, Credit where it's where it's due. Um, and I, t- I took this from a from a friend, but that AI is delivers digital abundance, uh, and blockchains deliver digital scarcity. So they're they're also two sides of the of the same coin. So it makes sense, you know, putting those two things together. Not only because there's obviously a a level of interest. You know, AI is at that point now where people are people are like, I, I I've heard the buzzword and I don't know what it means for my business, which which is what you could have said about you know Web three in 2021, right? So as a consultant, it makes perfect sense that that's what you'd be doing. But also, I do think that they are two sides of the same coin. And um, I think that that'll be an interesting one to watch play out. Yeah, I think it's, you know, to me, it falls into that same boat. Like um, when people were like, oh, well, you know, what is Web3 or what's this crypto stuff? I think um, what starts out as a threat for a lot of people um, transitions into an opportunity with time. The first thing that our brains like respond to is, could this be bad for me? And then it takes a little bit of while for it to, you know, a little while for it to normalize and for it to become kind of part of the zeitgeist. And also maybe to watch um, other people make mistakes. You know, I think there's, there is first movers disadvantage oftentimes um, with new technologies. And so um, I think with AI, the, the first question that, that we hear a lot of the time from brands is, you know, kind of what's the risk in this? They're looking at this and saying, you know, how do we respond to our employees using this? Or, you know, what might this do to our IP? That, that's a question that we're thinking of, about a lot is, um, you know, is, is how does this impact legacy IP for brands? Um, you know, ultimately, um, I think with time, we'll see that question of how can we leverage these technologies to do more with our IP? Um, how can we leverage these technologies to do more for our employees or with our employees um, rather than the kind of initial doom and gloom that, that I think we tend to see on new technology? Yeah, I mean, I think I have kind of two questions on this space. But first, I want to just double click on the the kind of utility for brands and the membership models that we've talked about. We had another um, episode in this series um, a couple episodes ago where we talked um, with with Mel, who did a lot of the tokenomics for Dot .swoosh. Um, and I think, like, you know, the new use case, right, right, switching to this kind of, like, how do brands deeply engage, right, through these membership models is really interesting. And so I'd love to hear kind of some of the – the like fun ideas for like the utility down the line for these membership models. Like what are the things you're geeking out on there where like might not be what you're doing right now, but like, Oh man, you could do this in a year or whatever it might be. Yeah. I I think so one big one there is like um, composable identity. Uh, The idea of of our wallet starting to become a representation, not just of who we are or like what we bought, but where we've been and what we've done. Um, you know, an example of that kind of in the real world is with the Ralph Lauren and Pool Suite thing. The the idea there was to do a um, non-transferable token airdrop uh, to all of the Pool Suite executive member holders as a gift from Ralph Lauren. And that gift unlocked, it, it's essentially just a, a postcard, it's a souvenir. Um, uh, postcards are cool uh, and souvenirs are fun. Um, but the idea of saying, look, I held this thing at this time and now I have something that's with me. This is, this is going to stay with this wallet. Um, the ability to then say, oh, but like, what can we do with that? So we use that same postcard as an unlock for an RSVP site for an in real life party or as a claim form for the ability to, to sign up to get a, um, a martini shaker set uh, as a gift from Ralph Lauren uh, that was like customized with Pool Suite swag. Um, or even, you know, as the ability to then customize your Pool Suite avatar to put them in kind of Ralph Lauren clothes. Um, 
I think what I start to think about then is what if you take that that little seedling of an idea and say, look, like these are people who now have we, we've connected a dot between uh, an online lo- uh, lifestyle leisure brand and uh, a, a retailer, a, fa- a fashion brand. Um, what if you start to say, okay, cool, we could build a little constellation of other Ralph Lauren airdrops potentially and say, oh, look, we're able to start weaving a web of people who are connected through Ralph. And there, there becomes kind of a, a web, a, a pool of people who are, um, they, they've self-selected um, but by, by making a decision earlier. I think there's, there's something, this starts to back to the cookie model, you know, thinking about kind of how, what is the new version of, of digital um, identity look like, especially not that first layer of identity where we're, where we're saying who we are or describing who we are, like actively, the passive one, kind of the, the background identity, the base layer. Um, I think there's a world where you could start to build audiences out of people who are connected like that, which is interesting as a marketer. Um, I think the other side is thinking about um, rewards. Like I'm, I'm really into um, two token systems. The idea of having something that operates like in a video game, like gold and experience points. Um, I think we're going to see like way more brands start to think about that. I think Dot Swoosh, you know, looks just like it'll point that way. Starbucks Odyssey does too. Um, uh, we're going to back to the, you know, I love the um, AI abundance, uh, you know, uh, crypto scarcity thing. I think that we're happily for me, at least with regards to like um, uh, non-currency tokens moving into a place of abundance in crypto. Like there, there is going to be more, there, there will be more NFTs in the future than there are today, you know, and I think by, uh, by an exponential, um, in an exponential way, it's going to, it's going to go, go big. And I think a lot of that will come from things being free and from the ability to really collect like, um, more more tokens in the sense of like spendable tokens perhaps or exchangeable tokens in addition to things that kind of show up as souvenirs so i think that that two token kind of world is the one that i'm really excited for yeah you're right i it's so interesting to think about where it goes from an abundance perspective i think that you know things will be scarce sort of by definition but but there will be very many of these scarce things you know yeah, i think totally, a lot of yeah. I, we've, we've i've been thinking lately about how we've we've kind of screwed up the um, the definition of, of crypto by making it about quote unquote value. Um, you know, things only have value if people ascribe value to them. Um, you know, the, the reality is that, um, you know, we're, we're really just talking about digital stuff. Stuff doesn't necessarily have value. You know, you could think about it as like plastic, plastic things are scarce, but most plastic is valueless. Um, you know, so that's, yeah, super, super interesting. Yeah. And then I guess the other thing I wanted to circle back on is just like, you know, this kind of the, the first founders disadvantage in this space. And I think it's really interesting because you've had, you know, you've been in a couple of really interesting, like kind of high hype projects. And I think, you know, I would be super curious. And I think that our, our listeners would be too, of just like some things that you learned, you know, from, and it is interesting moment too now, especially since you're thinking a lot about AI, Right. We're going to have this another bubble. Right. Of like, let's throw a bunch of money at AI because like it's the new buzzword. Right. And so like looking back, you know, what are some of the things that you you think about in terms of like, you know, how to kind of balance like the hype with practicality or like ability to execute or, or whatever that is? Yeah, I, I, I love that question. Um, something that that I think I've taken away from the last couple of years of wandering around Web3 is um, 
I think there's generally been an approach towards starting businesses in Web3 that mirrors um, the Web2 founder model, where we're saying, look, we need capital intensive, um, really like development thick product that's focused on building um, building digital things. Um, because ultimately, that that's what you're going to get people to pay for. Like, I understand that the the thing that most people are buying in in tech is a digital product, a digital something, a digital thing that does a thing. I think um, what I've seen happen a few times is uh, companies come to market with a product that um, is built super well. It's built really robustly. It's built uh, to do something really, really powerful. Um, but there's no clear vision on. Um, how to execute it or on what it actually means or on who it's for. Um, and it feels a little bit um, kind of Sisyphusian kind of, of like, we're, we're just, we're building and building and building and building. But if you're pushing it up a hill and there's like, there's no reason to get to the top of the hill, there's no one there for it at the top. I, I'm just, I'm, I've often left um, after conversations with, with other founders in the space and like with, with talking to people in the space, um, uh, just surprised that people are thinking so much about what they're building and not about who they're building it for. And so I think that to me is, is really central to, to what needs to be done here. We need to like really humanize what's being built. And, and that's where um, luckily for people like uh, me, uh, that's where marketers come in is in really thinking about kind of how to connect really great ideas to the humans who, who we need to uptake those ideas. Um, I think another thing that I'm really long on is, is an increase in, um, um, disposable products like i think we're, we're going to see a, a world and this goes back to abundance um where there are more purpose-built apps and more kind of application specific things uh, that are developed because it's going to continue to be easier to develop i think you know we, we've seen like especially with ai being able to write code and even if it's not very good code the ability to spin something up that does just the thing you need to do it for just the time you need to and then to let it go i think to me that means that we're going to be able to have companies that um that leverage um, developers and leverage uh, AI uh, for, for development um, to build something that's very specific and very tailored um, and is maybe more fleeting. So the idea of digital permanence on the Web3 side is like really powerful and really strong. But I think we're actually going to move into a world of kind of um, uh, digi the digital ethereal sort of on the uh, on the AI driven side, where there's going to be more that gets built, more that gets written um, than can ever be consumed or understood. and um, I'm, I'm personally like very excited for that. It means that we're not going to be trying to use one word editing uh, tool for all of the files that we ever need to touch. We could potentially have a really great, you know, like there, there are great tools for um, script writing out there. Like there's, there's specific tools that people use to write scripts. Imagine if you were able to spin up something to write um, any kind of format of a thing that you were looking to build um, on kind of a moment's notice um, and just kind of build uh, uh, application specific applications. There's something that, that really gets me fired up about that. Yeah, that's I, I like that. I like that vision. We could keep going, and but we're you know we are we are running out of time. What are, where do people find you know uh, find if people want to get in touch with with Rumfords? It just uh, they, you know, no one would know how to spell that. They would spell it the wrong way. How do you spell that? Yeah, it's Rumfords dot com. R U M F O O R D S dot com. Perfect. We have a we have a few questions that we ask everyone um, at the end. Um, and I'd love to see a compilation of these when we're all done. See, we need to like make a trailer basically. But, you know, we, we started this uh, with this concept of creative custody, but realized that that means different things to different people. What does, what does creative custody mean to you and your work? 
creative custody to me, I think I connect back to the, the, um, I'm a collector by nature. So I, 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 I'm the child of antique dealers. I love stuff. And to me, um, my identity, uh, as I thought about it, even pre web three stuff, um, is, is built in part based on the things that I have and the things that I've kind of, you know, brought with me. And so, um, I, I think there's a, an act of like, uh, of curation that comes into creative custody. Um, but also the ability to kind of, um, acquire and uh, de-acquisition kind of um, to build kind of the, the identity that you want at a given moment um, as you move through life. And I think, so the second one, I think we've touched on some, some pieces of it throughout this, um, but, you know, we're kind of thinking about this in terms of going from jobs or work in the world of information to work on things that around value. And I think we've talked a little bit about how that has changed from like straight currency to like valuable memberships, et cetera. But, you know, we're just thinking through one of the questions is like, how, how do you approach that transition, right? For people that are trying to kind of transition from a web two centric industry into more web three and maybe even, you know, AI emerging technology type projects. Yeah. I think the unlock for me was, was finding, um, my people. And for me, that, that started through FWB, um, finding people who were doing the kind of work that I was interested in and who were kind of talking about the things that I wanted to talk about, um, spending a lot of time, um, you know, engaging in kind of testing your ideas with the people around you, really pl playing with thoughts, um, was huge. And then just, um, you know, leveraging that network, like leveraging that, that, that connection that you can build with the people around you. What's something that you think is inevitable and will certainly be a part of our lives 15 to 20 years from now, but sounds like crazy talk today. That's really hard. Um, I, I, I think uh, it, it's hard for me to not go like bleak and dystopian with that. Cause that's kind of where I spend a lot of my time. Um, but I, I think that, um, you know, for me, as I think about what the future um, will look like, uh, I'll give you the optimistic take, which is um, I think that um, we're going to uh, move to a place where creative expression um, is, uh, uh, almost limitless and, and, and limitlessly accessible for, for normal people. I think that there are things that today can only be done with, um, huge technology and like high, you know, high priced rigs and stuff like that, that in 20 years, the ability for you to make, um, you know, a movie that is cinema, like cinema quality, um, uh, on your home computer or like, or even off of your phone. Um, I, I think the leaps and bounds that are going to be made there, um, thanks to um, cloud computing and AI, um, it, it's going to be incredible and is going to unlock like the ability to do, um, to do more than ever, like cr true creative abundance is, is, is I think something that, that we have no idea of how far that's actually going to go in the next 20 years. I, I think that I've been thinking about that a lot too. It's like if, um, if the internet made it possible for everyone to distribute their zine, um, you know, AI is going to make it possible for everyone to make a zine, which is, you know, the quality of the New York times or yeah. time magazine in terms of design, if that's what you wanted to create is, yeah, I've been thinking of the, you know, built to spill line. I want to see movies of my dreams. Like, okay, that's no problem. Then just wake up and tell me your dream and I'll make you a movie of it. Right. Um, you know, that's, totally. Totally. You know, I, I don't, and, and guess, guess, uh, guess who I'm not paying union scale to. Um, meanwhile, yeah. there's a strike in LA right now. That's yeah, this is okay. not, un, not unrelated. Right. So yep. yeah, super, super interesting to think of, of where that goes. You know, and you, you, you mentioned earlier scenes, you know, and thinking about kind of like these, these scenes as being 
kind of more important and like emboldened. I think what I'm really excited for is just the the continued uh, uh, fractalization of those scenes. We're going to end up with just so many like microscopic scenes that to me, the sense of like inclusivity and um, ownership and like true freedom that that's going to create for people, especially like, you know, like young people, uh, that, that, that gets me very excited and it makes me optimistic for the, the creative future that, that we'll you know, I, I think it's, and, and I'm just want to clarify for the listener or viewer that when you say scene, you mean the scene, like a, a group of people who gather around one thing. Cause we were also talking about yeah. movies. So they might yeah, think of yeah, a scene totally. from a movie, but you're thinking you're, you, I know exactly what you mean a scene in terms of like, you know, CBGB's was a scene in New York in the seventies, which has now been broadcast and, and re, you know, regurgitated many times. Yesterday, my 16 year old asked me, um, if who, who was, uh, you know, kind of who was more popular, Harry Styles or the Beatles. And the conversation that we had, of course, is that's impossible to compare because you're talking about a world with three television channels versus a world with TikTok. So, you know, the, the amount, you know, you, and this is also where people, you know, they want to draw a comparison like that, but it's impossible and you cannot extract it from, you know, technology and the means of distribution and, you know, the means of creation, right? I mean, you know, the television and cable television and, you know, college radio and, and, um, uh, cable access, you know, changed, you know, changed the type of, um, you know, stars that, that we had in a way and and there's no there's no question that ai and TikTok and whatever comes after it will do the same so um yeah keeps moving forward so thank you so much brian and zoe glad you guys you know have each other there there in portland well, well i'm so very far away <laughs> um and thanks for being with us really really appreciate it hope we get to do it again thanks so thank much you for brian this content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. Do your own research. Any loss or profit is your sole responsibility. Stay safe.